0: Greetings, race community. Brent, coming in live with today's guest, Tamara, like O'Hara, Michelle Josserand, who serves as Vice President for Development at the University of Washington. Welcome, Tamara.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here.
0: Well, I'm delighted to learn more about your story, who you are, what inspires you to do this work. And Mm -hmm. I love asking development leaders to tell me and our guests, our listeners, a little bit more about your own higher education journey. So take me back to junior year of high school. Who was that, Tamara? And what led you to Connecticut College?
1: Wow. Uh, junior year of, of high school, uh, Tamara, I, I would say was very much of a, of a bookworm and also loved music. And uh, I love to go to to concerts and uh, a lot of a lot of live concerts uh,
0: at the what time was on your playlist at that time. What do we. Oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so this is uh, this is letting you know uh, my you age. don't got to let me know That's, anything uh, about Donna, early okay. Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, run dmc i went to the my adidas concert the first my adidas concert uh and uh and you too so it was uh a lot of um hip-hop rock pop
0: it was it, the 80. were you playing music or just singing along loudly i
1: was singing along i was playing i was listening um, and so that, that, that seemed that that was a big, big part of my life in addition to school, of course. Uh, and I ended up going to Connecticut college cause it was a great school and it was fairly close to home. I could get back home, uh, and, uh, at the same time, be away from, uh, be away and go away to college. I grew up in New York, in Brooklyn, New York.
0: And I have followed you on social media and saw that you've described yourself as a daughter of immigrants. So tell me more about that part of your childhood and, and identity. Oh,
1: certainly. Uh, so my family and I came from Haiti and I arrived in this country. I was uh, three years old uh, with my mom um, who came to the United States to, to find a, a better life for her daughter. And, uh, and I was raised in New York and uh, am a product of the New York City public school system, proud, proud alumnus of the New York City public school system.
0: That is such a, uh, uh, you know, common story in in the context of uh, being in the United States. But it also always just strikes me to want to know more about like, was there one moment or like one inflection point or something that pushed your mom to make that move. Do you ever ask her, just like, because she also could have stayed?
1: Yeah, she also could have stayed. Um, I think the 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 regime at the time um, it was a dictatorship, and it was the the dictatorship of the uh, the Duvalier regime, um, and it was just a difficult uh, life and uh, very repressive. There are certainly not civil liberties like the ones we take for granted. And I remember her telling me, uh, she was a, uh, a a pastry chef, she had gone to cooking school, that she saved all her money and she had $600 in her pocketbook and uh and uh me uh and she was just determined to find a better a better life for her daughter so
0: i love it i love it thank you for sharing it's amazing and uh and at the same time you know having the opportunity to go to Connecticut college amazing institution close Mm -hmm. to home too close to home was it uh just a an immediate fit was it a tough transition like just take me back to the kind of college years
1: it was a little bit of a transition that especially the first year um but i eventually found my my footing i i will say that that first year was the the toughest year for me academically and um looking back now i have I have an MBA. I have a master's in education. Uh, nothing was as difficult as that first year of of college, coming from an inner city public school, going to kind of an elite liberal arts institution like Connecticut College. So uh, that was a big transition year for me. Um, but I stuck to it, and it got a lot better after that first year. Um, and I became. Uh, a leader, uh, a student leader on campus. I became involved in different campus organizations. I I did a lot better uh, academically, and uh, just uh, blossomed. And eventually, I realized that higher education could be
0: an actual career. You actually had that kind of insight while you were in college. <clears throat> yeah because I met all these people who helped me, who reached out
1: to me, who supported me and they worked on campus um, and they had jobs on campus. And I thought, oh, I could do this and help other students like me one day. Uh, and so that, that uh, my, ex- my college experience uh, led me to go back to school eventually and get a master's in higher
0: education uh, administration.
1: What was your immediate
0: step uh, coming out of college? First job, where were you?
1: First job right out of college, I went to Boston and I I worked at, at Wheelock College. I don't think Wheelock exists. It was on the on the Riverway near Simmons College. And I was a, a dorm director for Wheelock. I uh, oversaw uh, uh, a co- um, an all-women's dorm there, and I also worked in administration, uh, working in admissions and uh, for the president's office. So I got a little bit of higher education, um,
0: a feel for it at that yeah, point. Yeah, we, Wheelock we lock and Boston University announced a merger in 2017, to which has now become a new School of Education uh, as part of the oh. BUL is my understanding but um and and so getting that kind of exposure by way of student leadership and and having folks kind of coach and mentor you and just realize mm-hmm. hey there's this whole business of higher ed having a chance yeah. to be a benefit, uh you liked it enough to sort of continue along that path.
1: I I did I and I actually thought I was going to I went to graduate school then uh, shortly thereafter and uh, to get my master's and I thought one day I would like to grow up to be a dean of students um, because I was in
0: Why?
1: The, Why? the student personnel because that's that's what I experienced a higher education and and our dean of students was helpful and and organized things and um, and I wanted to be that support for for other students. Uh, and I ended up going uh, after my master's degree, I ended up going back to Connecticut College, uh, where I became the director of our multicultural center, Unity House uh, for for a few years. And so I did that
0: but well, somewhere along the way, my understanding is that you, dipped your toe in the fundraising waters uh, by way of some phone work, which is very common among the leaders we've hosted on this podcast. But what is not common is that has happened during graduate school for you. So tell me yeah. about graduate school student caller.
1: Well, I was in graduate school um, at Harvard at the School of Education and uh, needed to make money. And so this is my work-study job. And I worked in the I worked for the for the annual fund and did phonathons and helped with like simple thank you letters. And I loved it. It Why? was It seemed like so much fun uh, because you were contacting these alumni that were always friendly when they realized you were a student. and uh, and and I was calling um, and participating in thankathons. And so I was just calling to say thank you, share my own story, uh, and people asked me questions about what was going on at the time and shared stories about how they remembered school being when they went there. And so it was just kind of a lot of fun. And I thought, oh, I could do this. This is this is easy. And so years later, as I thought about uh, work I had done in higher ed, I remembered that um, uh annual giving phone work that I had done and I thought hmm, maybe this is something to think about
0: but you had clear exposure the the aspiration to be a dean of students you're working in the multicultural center mm-hmm. when was the fundraising
1: Oh, maybe three years into that into that job, um, you know, when you're working in uh, in student support services and you're like the safety net for students, you're pretty much on call twenty four seven. And uh, after doing this work, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I I saw my colleagues and friends who were worked in uh, advancement they seem to have these glamorous jobs where they were flying to meet alumni in places and um, they're meeting uh, uh, donors and going out to lunch and doing all kinds of things. And I thought I could re- represent an institution and, and do that. Uh, and so I, I thought about my experience in, uh, in grad school. And, uh, and that's what led me into advancement officially as a, a junior major gift officer.
0: And, and so tell me about, you know, first week on the job, junior major gift officer, what are you equipped with? Is it, here's the list, get out there. Is there training? Just, just what was the reality of, of sitting in that seat for the first time?
1: So I started working at a at a big institution, uh, Yale in in Connecticut, and I was hired with a cohort of other junior major gift officer, and that was pretty cool. And so uh, there was a group of us hired together, and we were all kind of onboarded and trained together. Uh, we were all assigned senior uh, advancement professionals, and kind of followed them and went on calls with them. So we learned the ropes uh, from the ground up by people actively
0: mentoring us. And uh, I feel like Why, everything- is, why mm-hmm. is what you're describing, it strikes me as being so obvious and such a good idea and very rare, like, does that even still, I mean, does that still happen? That's such a good idea.
1: It is, I mean, I, I can't speak highly enough about it. It was very, uh, it, there was a lot to learn. Um, but you learned from people who, who were, was, were doing it and were doing it well. And so you modeled, you had people to model your work, um, on. And so I, I say that there was a wonderful grooming program there.
0: I love that. And I, we just hear so much around professional development and the need to create more structure around things like onboarding um who led development at Yale at the time like who who sort of uh or or maybe somebody was kind of leading that program specifically like who are some Um, of the leaders that that you collaborate
1: honestly I cannot it's okay yeah I cannot recall this is a, yeah, are you lot. still
0: in touch with any of those other junior gift officers? I guess I'm curious, like when you went through the cohort together or, you know,
1: we kept in touch for, for a while, uh, before eventually losing touch. This is
0: going no, to I'm still,
1: 30 years ago now.
0: And yeah. So, and so when you think about those early, uh, experiences, you're a junior major gift officer, you're uh-huh. shadowing, and then eventually you're out there on your own, uh, did you still love it or or was it a tough transition? I mean, just you know it's one thing to do the thankathon as the graduate student caller it's a you know another thing to be out there uh you know trying i
1: to- I really enjoy the work I really enjoy the work, and i say i I love meeting uh donors. Uh, Alumni and friends, and seeing how passionate they were about their alma mater uh, and bringing them close to the institution uh, and making a gift. And so I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, And at the time, this was back when big institutions would have staff up for campaigns, and then you were hired for a campaign term position. And so after my term position ended, I wasn't quite sure I understood what advancement was all about because in some big shops like that, you end up just doing one thing and you get very good at doing that one thing, but you don't understand how all the puzzle pieces fit together. So after that, I went to Concord Academy, an independent school, and I worked with uh, Deb Taft. And uh, I I learned to love the field of advancement because I finally understood and got, what is an annual fund? How does an annual fund work? How do how does plan giving fit into everything? Um, how, how do we, you know, secure major gifts and and move on to gifts of a lifetime over over time? And so you're involved soup to nuts in everything. And that was a wonderful experience.
0: Well, I know Deb and think so, so highly of uh, everything, you know, she's contributed to the space, but, but it makes me feel like, you know, having also had some exposure in the independent school world through our work, it's like independent school. It's like working at a startup, you know, when you work at a startup, yeah. Yeah. you do you just get away. Even if you're not the planned giving person, you get what planned gifts are because it's a yeah. small team. And even if you're not the annual fund person, you see it right over there. Yeah. And that's kind of the way like the early stage startup world is, is you might not be a software engineer, but you're going to have so much more empathy for what that work is or, or what goes into designing a product that at a, at a big company, you might not ever really get in the same way. And so I, I, I love that independent school reflection you just shared. Yeah, thanks. It was it was a great experience. And tell me about, you know, one thing that really stands out in your history is which is not as common as I feel like it should be in the higher ed world. Mm-hmm. You were able to both work for the University of Chicago and pursue your MBA at the University of Chicago. I feel like that should happen all the time. It doesn't. It's a lot to juggle. Uh, But what inspired you to do that and any, uh, you know, regrets or recommendations for others to consider the same?
1: No regrets ever on any, any education. So I just, uh, I wanted to get uh, my MBA and understand the business aspect of things. Uh, I had so many conversations with donors over the years, and I felt like I wanted to understand what they were talking about. Um, And I thought it would help me as I became uh, more of a manager and managing teams and groups. And uh, uh, the university helped me with my with my tuition. Uh, And so they. they And so that was a, a wonderful opportunity. It was a lot of work. Um, doing your schoolwork and and having your course load and managing your work at the same time, um, but you know they gave me the time to do it and 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 I got my
0: work done. It was uh, it was a great experience. But in the same week, you could be both studying in the executive MBA program and meeting with a donor talking about funding the MBA program. Mm-hmm. What did that do for just the? the quality of the conversations you were able to have. It almost feels, I mean, it's, it's so unique.
1: There is a a lot of buy-in because you understand what these, uh, what, what our alumni have gone through and the, the education they had. And, uh, I think I was able to connect, um, very closely with, with, with our alumni, uh, at the school and, um, and people appreciated having conversations about their favorite professors and, you know, that, that I am experiencing and uh, that they had and uh, quirks about the school. Uh, so it was, you know, I,
0: I look back on that and I feel like I was very privileged. That was a great, great experience. And with that, well, maybe not just at the University of Chicago, but you planted some roots in, in Chicago and were able yeah. to do. Some consulting work do mm-hmm. some work outside of the higher education sector mm-hmm. do some consulting work oh yeah and you know what i didn't see coming was move to las vegas so just tell me about like <laughs> uh, so
1: over the uh uh after that i i was uh i did did some consulting work uh with with campbell and company and uh then i um I wanted to feed my soul and I worked with a large not-for-profit in in Chicago, Daughters of Charity Ministries. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, I had uh, my mother, who I was very close to, had a, a massive stroke. And I uh, was caring for her and she lived in Florida. and I was in Chicago. And so I began consulting on my own. Uh, and that really gave me the flexibility to to go back and forth to Florida to take care of her and and work at the same time and so I I managed and um, worked with um, public institutions large not-for-profits small not-for-profits organizations all over the place uh because I had that that background and and skill set and uh and UNLV, I started doing some work for them as well, and it became a permanent a permanent uh, a permanent position.
0: Uh, and you moved, with and that. I moved,
1: I moved with that, yeah, yeah. But I stayed close at the time. Uh, my husband was still in Chicago, and uh, so I was uh, going back and forth between Las Vegas and and Chicago.
0: So between your consulting and that experience, you were sort of doing hybrid work before it was a thing. Yes, definitely,
1: definitely. So I'm well accustomed to it before we had all the the Zooms and the easy ways to connect with people.
0: So. And and then um, I definitely want to make sure we've got time to just talk through the experience when you uh, were a vice president. And when you when you stepped into the vice president role at the University of Redlands, that's a big move. I know that it was in the midst of a really exciting campaign experience, but that's a you know, geographic change, different institution, cultural change, time zone change, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, just tell me about the catalyst to, to do that and then key reflections.
1: So I, uh, I, I, I took this position, accepted this position at, at the University of Redlands um, after spending a little bit of time at, at, at UNLV. I was there for five years. I, I kind of fell in love with the mountains and uh, a little bit of warmer climb. Chicago gets pretty bitter in the wintertime. And after more than 25 years of that, I thought, you know, the West Coast <laughs> looks looks pretty good. Um, and uh, I accepted this, this position uh, at the University of Redlands. Uh, this was their, their largest campaign to date. Um, and uh, we had a very a small but scrappy team. And uh, and uh, managed to close this campaign successfully, a two hundred million dollar campaign successfully. It was a, a lot of work, um, a lot of support from volunteers and people close to the university uh, in doing it. Um, but it was a great experience. But also Southern California, very different different environment than, uh, than Chicago. But by the time I made it over to, to Redlands, I was ready for, uh, the change in weather. And, uh, and, and I, we'd been in Chicago for, you know, going on 25 years. So
0: we're ready for a change of scenery. And then just around a year ago, a change of scenery, same time zone up the coast, Roughly uh, the the alumni population of the University of Washington is roughly 10x the size uh, that that you were coming from. And so uh,
1: uh-huh. I
0: your kind of one year reflection post on uh, that experience and uh, yeah, we'd love to just kind of hear hear the highlights of the last year and what you're excited about uh, in the coming yes. months. It's been
1: an absolute, uh, wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, It is a big, big shop. And I took a little bit of getting used to. But what I realized quickly is that all the consulting I had done for all those years, managing multiple clients, multiple groups, multiple uh, colleges and universities, um prepared me for juggling all of the tasks that i have uh now and uh and and that work which was um pretty intense and a lot of work at the time i i hadn't thought about how that kind of grounded me for a position like this uh so it's been it's been uh very rewarding. It's also been very humbling. And uh, it's, it's been a great, great group of folks to work with. So I oversee all of development for the University of Washington and all of our team, our, our school-based units. So uh, College of Engineering, um, College of the Environment, School of Education, you name it, they all report up to me, as do our central development teams. So I have 21 direct reports
0: as a result. 21 direct reports. That is an all-time record in the race podcast. Congratulations, Tamara. Thank Um you.
1: It's not a record I want to keep, and it's not a record I will have for long. So a big part of my first year has been working with uh, this awesome team on um, on a strategic restructuring. Uh, so our our development structure has been uh, set in place roughly 40 years ago when we're a much, much smaller team. And so now we're a team, you know going from a team of 200 to a team of over 650. It's very different. And so now this position has so many direct reports. And so that's the focus of my first year was focusing on a a strategic um,
0: reorg for our development organization. So how do you think through that? Because there aren't a lot of uh, peers that are at that size, but there are some. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so it's say, hey, let's canvas the market, identify Best practices or structures that have worked really well, uh, or is this actually that structure doesn't exist out there? We need to really come up with a model based on our own unique experience. Does does that make sense? I mean, you've been a consultant; you've seen frameworks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. strategies Mm -hmm. that maybe could be applied in different environments. Is that the situation here? Is it? Is it? Yeah.
1: It, it, it is, actually. So it's a little bit of, of all of the above. And so uh, doing our, our benchmarking and looking at um, other large institutions and their structure and also looking at our culture, um, what fits in with our culture, what, what would work. Um, and uh, in addition to doing some modeling, uh, doing surveys, uh, we had a number of, of groups and uh, committees helping us do this. Um, we worked with a uh, uh, consultant, uh, campbell and company, uh, and uh, we also worked with Martz and Lundy in, in doing um, some surveys. And so uh, as a result of that, we have come up with a cohort, cohorted model. Where we will have uh, cohorts of of schools uh, and and organizations that fall in a cohort. So, for example, the health sciences cohort, all of our health sciences school will report up to a uh, a, a more senior leader that will oversee that cohort, and uh, we will have another. A leader leading uh, schools and colleges with a number of our schools and colleges that are also similar in size reporting to that person. And so that, and, and those leaders will report to me. And so uh, that will take roughly 15 or so uh, direct reports um, off of my plate. And those schools and units will have more support um, and, uh, we'll be able to provide them with more resources as a result.
0: Well, I already feel more relieved, uh, that (laughs) uh, that's during the transition. And I'm sure it's, you know, it's a lot to, even if you have five or seven direct reports to really, you know, spend time and get to know people. And and certainly with 21, it's not realistic in that same level that folks want to, uh, uh, you know, aspire uh, to be able to engage as a leader or manager. So um, good luck with the transition. I mean, as it relates to scale, you know, I, I, we often ask kind of for some background information before we host these podcasts. And there's something I, I love just knowing when you have all those experiences, right? You've met so many donors, you've been on so yeah. many visits and trips and different yeah. profits and educational institutions. What, what are the the memorable gift experiences that stand out are the memorable uh, donor stories and your response was really unique because it wasn't about some trip to the bahamas to meet whatever, you know, donor and whatever cool environment it was about being a college freshman and getting to meet the donor that funded your own scholarship and so i just want you to like tell me why that stood out to you what you can sort of yeah just what you recall from that moment and also what your interpretation of that was like for the donor. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I am happy, happy to share that. Um, I, because I still remember it very vividly, this, uh, being 17 and really clueless and, uh, going to this luncheon to meet uh, to meet our scholarship donors and sitting next to this, You know, at the time, she seemed like an old lady to me, but was probably my age (laughs) then. Um, And I'm like, you know, I didn't know what I was going to say to that person, what she was going to say to me. And I just remember her being incredibly encouraging and uh, engaging in conversation with her and, uh, you know, over the course of the next several years this was someone who was one of the first adults uh, other than my parents to tell me that I would be successful and that she believed in me and that I could do whatever I wanted to do and if I wanted to go to Harvard I could get in because she believed in me and that Had such a, I mean, her her scholarship uh, had an impactful uh, effect in my life, but her uh, her mentoring and encouragement also had a profound effect in my life. And and over the years, as I have gotten into this fundraising work, I it it's something that continues to inspire me to want to impact other people's lives in the same way.
0: Why do you think she gave?
1: I think she gave because she wanted to make a difference. And she did.
0: And she certainly did. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I love kind of, you know, we get so focused on X billion or why million donors or whatever the numbers are. And it's the, you know, the individual stories at scale that are, are just amazing. And, and wow. I hear your stories like what you just shared. And I had my own version of that in, in my, my educational experience. I'm a first gen college student and just had those like very specific inflection points where you just feel like, whoa, that kind of just changed my life. And you don't really realize it until, you know, sometime. Yeah. But but then I think about the scale that you're operating at, or the scale that other institutions are operating at, and and like how do we scale? And, and Khan College is a you know intimate small environment where they don't have the numbers. There, there are you know other constraints and challenges, I'm sure. But but you know my understanding is right now there are fifty thousand students or so at the University of Washington, right? Fifty thousand yes. stories. Yes. 50,000 people that are all benefiting from philanthropy, maybe not as directly as the, you know, scholarship moment that you had. Uh, and there are days I'm like, oh, what if we could just have like, like a lunch tomorrow, where like 50,000 zoom links go out and like every student gets to meet one donor that has played some role, maybe not as direct as what you experienced in creating the opportunities that are now being pursued by way of their academic journey. And, you know, and then I just go back to work because that seems a little bit crazy, but it really is like technically possible now, like technology is not the constraint, like the constraint for your experience was that donor had to live close enough to Con college or be willing to fly in and there had to be a luncheon and there had to be enough seats and plates and chicken. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And now so many of those constraints are gone. we haven't quite yet figured out that kind of scale.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm hopeful in the future, perhaps AI will help us with that that kind of scale, how to connect with our alumni and donors and friends in ways to help them feel like they're part of our families and not just uh, a checkbook or something we want to check off.
0: I agree, and I think you know, this moment, there have been big waves, right? Social media was a big wave for higher education. Mobile was a big wave for all of our lives and and AI is happening right now. It's August of twenty two as we were or sorry August of twenty three as we record this. and um, it's pretty it's pretty breathtaking what's happening. And I do think there's potential to scale authenticity which sounds Mm -hmm. strange because I think sometimes in this sector, it's like, if it's authentic, then it has to be difficult or slow. Mm -hmm. There might be a way to actually improve that. I agree. Uh, And it's all being, you know, invented at the University of Washington and peer institutions. So it does feel fitting that we should have a, some kind of seat at the table to make this stuff happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What are you, I mean, how is a leader, like, how are you all, navigating just that topic right now? AI, what do you you say? We
1: we are definitely in the process of looking at how to actively navigate that um, and and do this engagement at scale. Um, It's taking time to build the platforms, uh, but this is something we're actively working on. And we think that you know it can it can have an impact in our in our friend raising as as well as our fundraising cuz you know uh, as you intimated there's only so much a person can do um but if i can meet with a certain number of people and then others are connecting to the university and being invited to events that they're interested in or activities that they might be interested in, in a way that is authentic. Um, I think it'll have an impact. So we are, we are actively in the process
0: of of exploring that. I Love it. All right. Well, tell me about your team. Tell. Are you hiring? We want to make sure you get a chance to just share where things are heading.
1: We are hiring. We're hiring throughout. Advancement, but I'm also very excited to say that we are hiring uh, right now, we'll be recruiting two new leaders in the fall. These will be the uh, leadership positions leading the cohorts that I mentioned. Um, and and so we're very excited uh, to do a national search um, for those roles. Uh, so keep, keep an eye out. Um, in addition, we are looking for a few good women and men, um, throughout advancement, uh, and through, throughout our teams. So we will be recruiting.
0: I love it. Well, yeah. those sound like uh, big, important roles to, uh, to get right. So wishing you the best, um, as you do that. And, uh, and would encourage, you know, folks who are listening to, Follow uh, Tamara on LinkedIn. I want to commend you. I, I think we need more leaders that are sharing and and putting out ideas. And you're definitely you know very connected. I you know a case uh, with with Campbell and Company. It, it's just great to see you sharing. Um, you know your ideas and and just yeah. I mean, I, I just invited people to reach out on LinkedIn. Is that okay? Tell me about that's, you, know, that's, you. That's totally about, that's
1: totally uh, fine. I think that we have to do this kind of. Um, mentoring in in our field in our profession uh if we're gonna hope to engage new people and younger people uh you know to replace us one day so uh it, it's part and parcel of the work that we do if you enjoy what you do you you have to put it out there and um play it forward
0: well I appreciate you doing that uh in in one part here today and uh, encourage our our listeners to to be connected, and just want to say thank you for for setting a great example and for sharing so openly with our community and more broadly. I've wanted to meet you for a while, and so you know, selfishly, been looking forward to this, and and just grateful for your willingness to to share.
1: Thanks, Brett. Thanks
0: for having me. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to close today's Raise podcast uh, with our guest Tamara Michelle Josserand. Thank you so much, Tamara. Uh, and best wishes as you uh, continue to advance the work at the University of Washington. Best regards. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.